Hello, everybody, and welcome to uh, Permanente Docs Chat. Uh, I'm your host, uh, Alex McDonald. Uh, as many of you know, I practice family and sports medicine here in Fontana, California, as part of the Southern California Permanente Medical Group. Uh, today, we're going to talk about AI. It's a hot topic. Uh, it's been all over the news recently. Uh, we've had some prior webinars on AI, and they've been really popular. So I'm very excited uh, to welcome uh, Dr. Vincent Liu today, who is an internal medicine, uh, pulmonary, pulmonary disease, and critical care physician with the Permanente Medical Group. So Dr. Liu, thank you so much for joining us. It's a pleasure to be here. Thanks for having me. Great. So again, as I said, Dr. Liu, uh, he's actually a senior research scientist at the Division of Research and the Regional Director of Hospital Advanced Analytics with Kaiser Permanente Northern California. Um, and as I mentioned, he's a, a, a pulmonary and critical care physician. And so we're going to get into AI and clinical informatics and all kinds of fun stuff today. We're going to keep this short and high yield. Uh, so if you're listening live on the webinar, please feel free to drop your questions in the Q&A. We'll try to get to as many as we can. And we're just going to jump right in here and keep this keep this high yield. So, uh, Dr. Lou, in, in your own words, tell us tell us who you are and what you do. Great. Um, yeah, thanks for having me. I'm Vinny Liu. I am a pulmonary critical care physician at our Santa Clara Medical Center in Northern California. I am a research scientist uh, at our division of research where my work focuses on improving outcomes for patients who are undergoing acute care, including patients with sepsis. And then I'm a regional medical director and I help lead a whole team that implements predictive models and AI tools uh, into bedside care. So um, the kind of uh, combination of all of these jobs gives me a pretty unique perspective on both the science aspects the operational aspects, as well as uh, the clinical aspects of, you know, how do we use these tools and how do we use our data to improve the care of our patients as well as improve their outcomes. Great. So are you responsible for that little pop-up uh, when I'm in the hospital saying, have you considered sepsis in this patient? Uh, <laughs> no, I'm just teasing. <laughs> No, it, well, not, it, not exactly. There's lots of folks who do that, but those are the type that that is the type of work I think that's designed to um, you know, take complex information, mm -hmm. synthesize it, and hopefully provide it to patients in a way, uh, pr providers in a way that's least fatiguing yep. uh, and most effective. We know we're still struggling with that um, in all aspects of the EHR. And, and I think that's something we may see with AI as well. Yeah. And, and I think for me as, as a physician, um, I work both in the inpatient and the outpatient space. Um, having so much data and information is definitely overwhelming. And, and if somebody presents it to me in, for example, like a, a um, um, an Excel spreadsheet, uh, patients giving me their blood sugar numbers, like that, that doesn't mean anything to me versus if someone gives me a graph and I can visually see the graphic representation of their blood sugars. For me as a physician, I can use that data much more meaningfully um, and it's much more intuitive. And, and I think that's kind of the sweet spot of making sure we can use all this information and use AI to um, to create to to cultivate it in a way which actually makes physicians' jobs better and easier and improves patient care. Um, what are, what are your thoughts about that? I, I'm sure that's what you yeah. think about all day long. Absolutely. I mean, I think AI um, speaks to a machine or a non-biological system's ability to accomplish a complex task on its own. So that's kind of if we break down artificial and we break down intelligence. The way we think about AI for KP is augmented intelligence, right? Because AI, artificial intelligence, focuses on algorithms at its center. What can algorithms do? We focus on people. 
right? Whether those are patients, clinicians, or communities, and really what is that technology or those algorithms allow us to do better? So I think some of the examples you highlight are very much at our fingertips and, and we should see them really enter into practice. We're already seeing them and we'll continue to see them. And, and that is, uh, you know, these uh, fantastic computers ability to synthesize very, very complex data, mm -hmm. find patterns within those data, and hopefully draw some insight. Um, and, you know, either through alerts or through synthesis of information to be able to do that um, and make our jobs more efficient, um, you know, to, um, in, in, in essence, um, you know, a fantastic reader of the chart, which I know is sometimes really complex, particularly mm -hmm. for, you know, the types of patients that we see in the hospital. I think we are seeing the emergence of that with generative AI, mm -hmm. right, where with these incredibly powerful statistical models that are built on hundreds of billions of uh, data parameters, that they're able to infer things about the patterns that they're seeing in ways that we had not even previously thought possible and not just physicians, but leading experts in AI really thinking that we're on the cusp of something new. So I think there is absolutely an appetite and the reality of AI that will make our jobs more efficient. And that means synthesizing data, some degree of uh, you know uh, being able to put that into text, um, interpret audio conversations, mm -hmm. um, and then point us to signals that we don't normally access yep. um, because, you know, we we can only hold so many things in our head. Yeah. I, I think one thing I was talking to a colleague about this recently is we have all this complex data for patients who are in the hospital who are already really acutely ill, but being being sort of a, a contained uh, uh, system, integrated healthcare uh, system that KP has, we can, can we predict when patients before they get sick, right? Can we see mm -hmm. those warning signs as an outpatient and, and prevent severe illness, prevent hospitalization? And I think for me, again, primary care doctor goal is all about prevention. Um, how do we prevent that heart attack? How do we prevent that stroke? Um, mm -hmm. That could be even, even more powerful when it comes to improving and preserving the health of our patients. What, what are your, what are your thoughts there? Do you, does AI have a role in that space? Yeah, absolutely. And this is where I kind of put on my researcher hat. So some of the work I do that's funded by the NIH and other foundations is in pre-sepsis. So the concept that you know, we've kind of maximized our capability to de deliver earlier antibiotics or earlier identification among patients, you know, in the ED. And we can, you know, again, continue to press forward on that, but there's a limit to which now we're just giving out antibiotics in an indiscriminate way. Mm -hmm. But can we uh, leverage signals from before the patient gets to the hospital um, in order to identify that they are on the pathway towards a sepsis hospitalization? Um, we examined 95 million clinic visits, um, looked at symptom profiles, looked at labs, looked at medications and diagnoses, and used machine learning to find you know, models that would say these patients need further attention. The challenge with a lot of this, this work is it's not perfect. Um, you know, it, I think if we're expecting that it's always going to precisely identify the patient at risk and never anybody with a false positive, we're still fooling ourselves a bit. And that's okay. why I think it's augmented, right? It, it's going gonna, it's gonna to surface a group of patients who are at higher risk, some of who may end up in the hospital and others who aren't. 
we as experts about how we deliver care and how we design systems then need to integrate that into the way we practice, right? What is our next screening modality? Is there a blood test? Is there an EKG or some, some sensor we can provide to patients? Um, is it just a, a phone call, you know, a check-in, a physical exam? Mm -hmm. And so I, I think that's why, um, you know, I'm really excited about AI, but I, I want it to be really well integrated so that it doesn't become more burdensome to us as clinicians or to patients. Right. I, I think a lot of a lot of us who've been in practice a little bit longer still have maybe a little a little bit of, you know, post-traumatic stress disorder when uh, uh, electronic medical records came in and they said, oh, this is going to make your job easier. And and, and if anything, it, it potentially made our jobs harder for a while. Um, and I think a lot of people worry that that AI and I, I love your term augmented intelligence versus artificial intelligence. So augmented intelligence could potentially make things more challenging and more complex. And I think uh, the work you do and kind of some of the work that I've heard going on uh, in mul multiple different groups is really making sure that it works for the patient and for the physici physician and isn't an additional barrier and burden in one more clicky box or, or, or you yeah. name it um, as well. Um, well, let's, let's switch gears a, a, just a bit here, actually. Um, and I want to actually talk about the permanent day medical group grant program uh, called augmented intelligence and medical, excuse me, medicine and healthcare initiatives or aim high, uh, which I love mm -hmm. that uh, acronym, by the way. So you're the principal investigator, I believe of aim high. So tell us more about that program, what it is and what are some of the goals? Yeah, so the program is designed to leverage our experience um, and act as a coordinating center to fund three to five additional health systems to implement AI or ML technologies for a diagnostic decision-making process. Hmm. And our role as the coordinating center and as essentially the funder who will be dispersing these funds is not only to coordinate these projects, but um, you know, be able to capture best practices and scalable practices um, that will, you know, help us really understand how do we achieve this augmented intelligence? How, how do we do, learn from these projects and then what we've done in order to make this a reality and a safe, effective, efficient, and sustainable reality mm -hmm. um, for our patients and clinicians? Um, so, you know, I, I think the, the reality in the field today is while there's extreme hype and excitement about AI, there's actually precious few demonstrations of AI actually applied yep. in a robust way, in a large scale way that have changed patient outcomes. And I, and I think, you know, I've been fortunate to work with colleagues here, like, uh, you know, our retired physician, Dr. Gabriel Escobar, you know, on things like advanced alert monitor, which is an inpatient early warning score, you know, the results of which we published in the New England Journal of Medicine, or on a predictive analytics tool for readmissions, which was published in the British Medical Journal. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we're trying to use kind of the integration of KP to demonstrate that when we pair these AI tools with really good clinical workflows, mm -hmm. we are able to achieve um, improvements in clinical outcomes. But unfortunately, those types of studies are really, really lacking. And so the goal of this grant is to elicit a large number of proposals um, in order to find the ones that will be able to make a difference um, so that we can glean lessons from them. So I'm gonna repeat what you said because it's, I think that's such an important point. The goal is to pair AI with really good clinical workflow. 
Um, and I think that's the key. Um, mm -hmm. A lot of people are afraid, not a lot. Some people are afraid that, you know, AI is going to replace the, the physician and uh, and their decision making. And I, I think that will never happen because medicine is so nuanced um, and there, there, there's so much of it, which is really more, much more intuitive than we, we would like to believe sometimes. Um, but the key is really pairing it, pairing AI with, with excellent clinical workflow. Um, and that's the really, I think, you can, guys can stop listening now if you're listening to this podcast thus far because you, 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 you learned it. No, I'm teasing. Um, uh, so again, so the deadline, I believe, for proposals has passed for this year. Is that correct? Yeah. So we had a letter of intent stage. We received over 120 proposals wow. for three to five slots. And those came from many academic centers, companies, um, uh, other types of health systems that are not affiliates of academic centers. So we are quickly uh, leveraging the expertise of my colleagues here at the Division of Research to go through these, review them, and hone down to you know a smaller number that we can invite to uh, submit larger applications. One of the first things I hope to share from this work is, you know, these are kind of intended to be shovel-ready projects. Not, mm -hmm. you know, I want to test AI for this new condition, but it's saying this is a model which looks pretty mature, it's got good performance specs. What we're really doing is putting it into practice, maybe with randomization, and we want to assess it. So they're, they're kind of on that pathway towards being shovel ready. One of the first things I want to report out is just what domains are, are people thinking that models are shovel ready for, right? Because, um, you know, uh, and I, I'll say we've gotten generative AI applications, we've gotten predictive models, uh, we've gotten radiology proposals. We've gotten uh, other types of diagnostic testing. So um, I think that encapsulates kind of where the energy is in the field right now. Um, and, uh, and, and we'll be moving forward through this summer in terms of honing in on, you know, applicants that'll be requested to submit, you know, larger applications. Awesome. That's fantastic. So, uh, so folks, if you have questions, don't raise your hand, uh, just drop it in the, the Q and a chat function and we'll try and get to those. Um, so again, are, are there folks, are there other ways that, that individuals, uh, or, or researchers or groups can, can get involved and learn more about the, the aim high, um, project? Yeah. I mean, we've, um, you know, been able to, uh, use some of my colleagues here at the division of research to help with, um, you know, uh, helping to review these proposals. And we'll be sharing uh, both internal and hopefully external kind of information about what's going on, because I think it very much is, uh, you know, uh, health systems like ours that focus mm -hmm. on, you know, how do we make a population better? And, right. you know, how do we take a very diverse and large set of physicians, nurses, and other healthcare professionals um, uh, to do that. But, you know, I think uh, as to how everybody kind of pitches in, you know, AI, I mean, I, I remember this recent quote, you know, from a uh, physician and, and someone at the American Association of Medical Colleges. Um, I don't think AI is going to replace doctors, but doctors who use AI will replace doctors who don't. <laughs> and right. so I, I'm, I think there's no question today that that's a reality. Um, AI will be infused into every part of how we practice, whether that's in your clinical domain, whether that's through technologies like sensors and images, audio, you know, eventually, you know, we already have robots in healthcare. I see that all expanding. So, I mean, I think the key here is not for us to fall prey to the hype, 
you know, just every sexy gold, golden thing that everybody's talking about and just begin chasing those because uh, we know that it's a lot harder than that. You know, right. even the, the, the best technology innovation needs to be, again, carefully paired with practice. And um, in some ways, it really changes the way we practice. In other ways, it's just an incremental addition mm-hmm. onto something we're doing already. And so, I mean, I, I think we should be very much open to the ways that innovation will continue to um, evolve the way we practice. Um, and, you know, for everyone in their clinical domain to be looking for those examples and surfacing them um, so that we can find the most effective tools to, to integrate. Yeah, very, very well said is, is this sort of, you know, t- Take take a beat and before you jump on the the bandwagon, so to speak. Um, so we have a couple of questions here in the in the mm-hmm. chat. So for the the Aim High um, grant, is it is it year after year? Is it something? When does the next is our next round of applications open again? And when is that? So unfortunately, we just have one cycle of funding. Uh, okay. So it'll be seven hundred fifty thousand dollars for three to five health systems. Um, okay. You know, I think um, based on the, you know, how we do in this first year, we will be looking for alternate sources, you know, to keep that going. But as of now, it's a one-time thing. Got it. Great. Uh, And there's another question here in the chat, Um, thinking about kind of future, uh, how can, if at all, we use programs like chat GPT or other language models and AI technology to reduce the burden of emails on physicians right now? Uh, Will that serve to help or or reduce that burden? And and how far away is that? Um, Again, as a a primary care physician who gets the last three years, my email burden has quadrupled probably mm-hmm. um, and trying to really provide more complex care through email. Is there, is there a role for AI to help minimize that burden and, and help kind of almost triage patients uh, based on their emails to the most appropriate place? Yeah. And I would say, you know, I, some of the work of my colleagues like Dr. Chris Lee and, and the team she runs up here, desktop medicine, you know, they've already been implementing these email sorters. I think they've analyzed with NLP like 16 to 20 million messages or an average of 75,000 a day. Um, So yes, the volume is enormous. Um, Yes, there are tools that are already being leveraged. But ChatGPT, I think, has shown this kind of surprising new level of understanding and even the ability to generate text. So um, there are epic early epic pilot studies. I'm sure folks have heard about them. And KP... Um, is working with Epic in order to test those. I, Epic has been moving quickly. And so I anticipate that this type of technology will enter into, you know, become available, you know, in a, in a pretty accelerated timeline. But I, you know, I'm not in, in necessarily involved in all those discussions. So I can't give that, uh, yeah, I can't say what that timeline is. But I think there is help on the way. Um, and we will be able to use it in, in a careful way to reduce some of that documentation burden. Yeah, my uh, that was actually one of my questions later down was how we use AI and Epic. And I know KP and Epic uh, have worked very closely. Um, you know, my dream is when I can walk into an exam room, talk to the patient and the AI is listening in the background, it can document all the pertinent, you know, HPIs and I can mm-hmm. maybe just dictate my exam out loud. And then it, it just does the note for me. I cannot wait for that day. Um, because when I can just be present with a patient and not have to worry about typing and documentation, 
I find that right. much more personally fulfilling. And I, I feel like patients find that more rewarding as well. So I cannot, I cannot wait for that day where I can just walk into the room and the note is automatically generated for me. Uh, but yeah, I, I won't hold my breath, but <laughs> you're, you're waiting. So you should come up with the name because you're waiting for Jarvis, Meta, oh. KP Jarvis, right? We, we should call it something. Um, but you know, I, the technology, you know, through Siri and echo and, and mm -hmm. chat GPT and images, like it's all there. I right. just don't think it's been synthesized uh, to be user-friendly just yet. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so one more question here in the chat. This is fantastic. We could probably go on and on. Um, we'll probably be our last question here. So, so health equity is always a really important focus for, for patients and for, for KP in general. And, and is there a role for AI to really help eliminate, you know, uh, racial and, and ethnic disparities in healthcare and, and decision-making as well, and really not exacerbate some of those disparities? I think that's a concern of many, many folks that uh, unsafe AI will exacerbate disparities. And so I think we have to stay really closely aligned with our organization's mission and values mm -hmm. to, you know, eliminate disparities. I will just, if, if, if you have a minute, tell yeah, you why I think AI, we can make AI that hopefully doesn't propagate it, but it won't be the solution for for everything, certainly, because, you know, you can think of us in, in kind of four different buckets. There's the world as we see it and live in it that has structural, systemic, implicit, inherent biases. Then there's this data, which is a snapshot of the world. And in, in KP, we happen to have a rich snapshot, but it's not complete. And even some of the variables about social determinants of health or adverse childhood experiences, things like that, which we know impact healthcare. They're only sometimes proxies of what we really know. Um, and then there's algorithms, which are you set a machine to learn something very specific and it goes on a quest to learn that machine, but it doesn't understand all of the other contexts. And then there's ultimately how we put that tool into practice. And right. so we can make algorithms uh, try to debias them as much as possible, but they're only as good as the data which feed into them. And the data which feed into them um, are very much the products of biases that are inherent in the world today. Um, so I think where we want to focus is on the debiasing the algorithms and using them and tracking and monitoring them. Mm -hmm. So we're not propagating more disparities. We have to do more um, in the qua data quality, you know, making sure we're getting representative populations and, and adequate data. And of course, fighting um, however we can for health equity um, you know, in, in our everyday practice. That, that was so well said. I, I think we will end it at that. Uh, this has been such a great conversation. I really appreciate your time. Uh, again, this is just sort of a, a, a sip from the fire hose that is AI. So maybe, maybe we'll have to have you back again sometime to continue the conversation, but thank you for joining us and thank you for sharing your expertise today. All right. Thank you, everyone. The views expressed in this podcast are those of the speaker and are not meant to represent the views of the Permanente Federation, the Permanente Medical Groups, or Kaiser Permanente.